Well, good morning. I am overjoyed to be with you all this morning. Your pastor in this church has been a, a wonderful uh, picture of God's hospitality to us. When we moved here 10 years ago from California, Jason was one of the first people that reached out to us and started a relationship. He's served on our area advisory council for InterVarsity, and we have um, become friends and, and since united in partnership with this church, and we are just grateful to be in partnership with you all. InterVarsity locally is on 11 campuses now. We're a ministry that uh, seeks to transform college students during their four-plus years on, on college campuses and make them into world changers as they leave campus. We're, uh, I have a group of about 10 staff who are paid, who are working on all of our schools. One thing that's really exciting this year is we've added three new schools, Morgan State, Micah, which is the Maryland Institute College of Art, and Peabody Conservatory, which is downtown as a part of Johns Hopkins. We, are, we had all of these students gathered yesterday at a day-long training conference. We had 70 students. It was the first time we had, we had all of these campuses, uh, including Morgan State, represented. And it was very special to have three Peabody students helping to lead the worship team, very gifted musicians, and uh, we were all just kind of in awe. So um, that's kind of the little quick snapshot of, of who we are and what's happening. I wonder how many of you have read the book Unbroken in the last couple of years. How many hands the book Unbroken? Well, it's one of my favorite books. If you haven't read it, it's a good read. If you can endure some um, long, painful um, captivity of, in World War II, but it tells a story of a guy named Louis Zamperini, who was a World War II uh, um, bomber pilot. And he was, while he was uh, in, uh, flying over the islands of, in the Pacific, he was, his plane was shot down. He was stranded in a lifeboat for 43 days. I think it's still a record for how long anybody has survived uh, uh, on a, you know, stranded like that on the ocean. He, uh, one of the there were three guys that 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 were on this boat. Two of them survived. Then they were captured and uh, put in Japanese concentration camps for the rest of the war. And it tells the rest of the story of his life. A church in California brought him. The, they first read this book. They brought him to their church service and interviewed him. He is now in his 90s, I think. They asked him, you know, what was it that helped you survive? What what was it? And a lot of people would have said, oh, it's his character and all of that is true. This guy had just an amazing kind of perseverance and courage to survive that kind of experience. But what he said was he attended a, a, a survival skills training when he was on the island of Oahu getting ready to start doing these missions. And he went into these training times. He noticed that there were only a handful of uh, Marines or Navy guys that were uh, as a part of these trainees. He said, it was a little surprising to me. There were thousands of uh, military personnel on the island, and everybody was at risk of their lives, but only a handful of people were actually showing up for these survival skill training. And he said that class saved his life. He learned how to survive uh, over the, on the ocean. Um, some crazy harrowing stories of eating sharks, killing sharks. Uh, it's amazing. 
But he said it was because of that life-saving class. It makes me wonder today how I often feel like I'm in a church like this or in a class and I'm going, where is everybody? Why isn't, why aren't more people responding to the life-saving message of Jesus? We are offering this amazing life-saving gospel to announce. And yet it seems like it's met more with disinterest and apathy and just plain rejection than acceptance. Are you with me? It feels like the current of today is going in that direction. And I want us to to think about that a little bit together. You know, a survey in England a few years ago asked, what brands do you trust versus the church of England? And people overwhelmingly trusted brands like Coca-Cola or um, Apple Computer more than they trusted the institution of the church. Pretty sad. Uh, there, recent surveys, if you've read any of these polls, there, this, there's this new um, category of people in America that are called the nuns. And that's not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, referring to the people who, who mark as their preference their religious affiliation as none. These are, it's a growing percentage, it's about 20% of the population now, that's just no religious preference whatsoever. On, on, with young people today, and especially on our college campuses, it's even more severe. So fewer and fewer people are, are finding the church or have any church background. In fact, one of three 18 to 22-year-olds today are, say they are either ag- atheist, agnostic, or just none. Nothing in particular. And we also see on campus a kind of flip-flop in the last 25, 30 years, where as, as they surveyed freshmen coming into campus as, as in a kind of a really important freshman survey that UCLA does every year, they ask them, what, what's, your, what's your number one goal in coming to college? 30, 40 years ago, at the top five of the list was finding a philosophy of life. And now the number one through five is dominated by just finding a career and getting a good um, placement into grad school. It's all about it's all about sort of their their future, their passport into whatever they want to go into. It's very little anymore about finding any kind of truth or pursuit of liberal arts education. It's just not not even on the screen. That's what we're up against today. Not just with college-age students, but in our society as a whole. And it can feel pretty discouraging. It can feel pretty disillusioning. And how are we to process all of the apathy around us? And more than that, how are we to find hope in the midst of it? And and that's what I want us to to think about. And I want us to read together, listen together, a story that Jesus told to help us figure this thing out, okay? In the Gospel of Luke, in the 8th chapter... It starts like this. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, And when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. 
As he said this, he called out, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And the ones on the path are those who have heard. When the devil, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and the, their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. So, Jesus gives us some reasons for both the apathy and the hope in this story, I think. He first talks about the, the responses that are negative to the sowing of the word. They're the first seed that he talks about. It falls on hard soil, on a hard path. And before the word, the, the seed can even take root, Satan comes and takes it away. The second seed falls on rocky soil. It sprouts up quickly in the sun, and then there's no root for it to grow, so quickly dies out. And the third seed falls on thorny soil. The seed does sprout, gets roots, but then is choked out by weeds, and so it does not produce any fruit and dies. So there's a fourth seed, I'll get to that in a second, but at first glance, it does seem like the odds are stacked against the church and the message of the good news. And we see this kind of people with these kinds of soil in the world around us, all over the place. Uh, we see it on campus. So the first soil, the people that are hard, hard soil, I'll call them the hardies, okay? The hardies are the people that we see who are cynical of the church and don't want to trust Christians who are making any kind of invitation. We, we talk up to our students that there are several thresholds that people have to go through in order to become believers. The first threshold is to trust a Christian. That a lot of people come with g- very jaded opinions about the church and about Christians for whatever different reasons. And they're just hard soil. They're not going to just say yes to any kind of invitation to come to a church, to come to a, 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 any kind of Christian event. Those are the hardies that are uh, our first type of soil. The rocky or the Rockies. The Rockies are like a student at one of our colleges who uh, goes to conferences and has these spiritual experiences, and then he gets back on campus, and we never see him anymore. He doesn't come to Bible studies. He doesn't come to events. It's, it's the students, many students who come to college with a church background and who get to college without any kind of parental support or encouragement, and 
they just go off the deep end and don't want anything to do with Jesus or his church or other Christians. Those are the Rockies. They're the people that once they face difficulty, once they face challenges in their faith, they walk away. They give it up. The Thornies are students on campus like a woman that was in a Bible study that I led in California when I was on staff at a campus. We would uh, throw an event once a month on campus that was geared towards the non-believing students. And we would, we would take a topic, a movie or whatever, and, and get people to come and hear a message that was, that was about Jesus, but in a, in a very relevant way to their lives. And from there, we would invite people to join us in discovering who Jesus was through Bible studies. One of the women that came, uh, as we went around the circle, she said she was there because she had just broken up with her boyfriend. And she was really spiritually searching at that time. And so she had a great experience. We, we enjoyed the next couple of weeks with her. And then all of a sudden, she wasn't there anymore. And we didn't see her for a while. And then about a month later, she came back and said, I'm back again. And we got to sort of talk to her and realize she, she had broken up with another boyfriend. And so now she was at least available or open to spiritual things again. And we started noticing this pattern. Boyfriend, no spiritual interest. No boyfriend, spiritual interest. These are the types of thorny people. As soon as something better comes along, people just say, that. I'm done with the religious thing. Um, so these are the three or four, three out of the four bad outcomes that Jesus is talking about. These are the, the hardies, the rockies, the thornies. And we see this in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. We see folks like this. We see people who are cynical about religion, who don't trust the church, who need a lot of trust before they'll even talk to us about spiritual things. We see people who, um, who again, just want whatever is the best next thing that comes around. And they may be interested in, in, in you or what you're talking about spiritually, but as soon as something better comes along, they're out. And we see it with people who, who are um, thornies, who are so busy, so busy with life, that there's no time to even consider uh, coming to church, or no time. It's We hardly see them. How do we interact with people? Because we're all busy. I think Jesus would say a lot uh, about us in terms of this soil that's thorny, because there's just a lot of distractions in today's world. So we see this all around us, and I want to stop here and just ask, so okay, it doesn't look good. Where's the hope in this passage, right? Three out of four, 75% of the responses don't go well. And, and so you're kind of wondering, okay, Jesus, um, where are you going with this? But he does talk about a fourth soil. He says there is another soil. There is good soil. There are people who are going to respond. The word will take root in some people. The odds are kind of against those people, but there always will be good soil, Jesus says. And we see it in this text, right? Jesus tells us parables. He teaches the crowds. That's the first scene, right? Tells his parable about 
agriculture, some seeds falling a bunch of, in a bunch of different places. And then what happens in the next scene? The next scene is that his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Do you see what's going on here? The disciples are the good soil. And maybe they're called disciples. We don't know if they're the 12 disciples. But I think they're called disciples because they're willing to follow Jesus. They're willing to follow up with Jesus. They hear this kind of random story taken from farming. And they they say, well, there must be something to that. I'm going to ask Jesus more about that. Right? There is this good soil. They're taking it seriously enough to follow up with Jesus. Whereas the rest of the people in the crowd, they heard this story and they're like, well, that was interesting, but I, I need to go, I need to go farm my field. Or that was interesting, but I'm sorry, I'm not into that Jesus guy. The other soils were also there. The seed didn't take root, but there was some good soil. And these were the disciples. These were the folks that said, I also, they also had the same options to not respond, but they instead sought out Jesus and asked him about the parable. And that's what the rest of, a lot of the, the rest of this parable is he's saying. He's like, you have the secret of the kingdom. Everybody else, they, they don't get it. And what they don't get is they need to, they're not going to just understand it on their own. In order to understand it, they have to seek Jesus and look for him and ask him. And that's what the disciples are about. So the hope for us in the midst of apathy is that there is always good soil. Right? The seed gets sown, and there are all kinds of responses. But at least some people will respond positively to the message. Jesus is a realist. He's saying it's not going to be 100%. It's not even going to be 90 or 75. It's about 25%. But there will be good soil. There will be people who are responsive to the word as the word gets sown. And we're finding this on our campuses. One of the schools that, that we're on that's new, uh, MICA, which is the art school, a couple years ago, there was an a unaffiliated group of students that were having a Bible study, and they asked us for help and support. And so we started sending some staff and, and leading their Bible study. This last fall, they started to do more outreach on campus. They threw a root beer float party, and they just put it right in the middle of the student center on campus, and they had a, a tons of uh, students come around, and, and they had great conversations, invited people to come to their meeting. And this year, they've had uh, more and more uh, folks, especially new students, attending this Sunday night Bible study that's on campus. A couple students who had uh, came at the end of the semester went to a church service. And at the end of the service, they, um, the friend that brought them there they, they talked about what was happening for them because they were weeping in the back of the church. And they shared with her that Jesus finally really made sense to them. And they had committed their lives to Jesus in the middle of that Sunday service. Without any kind of invitation to do so, they just connected with the message of Jesus. And this, one of the women was sharing in the Bible study just a few weeks ago about her story and how that happened as we're trying to piece it together. And she said... She came to, that, to the Bible study on campus, and they were studying about the life of Jesus. 
And they were reading the parable, or not the parable, but the story of uh, Peter walking on water towards Jesus. You're familiar with it. Peter says, hey, let me get out of the boat and walk towards you. And Jesus walking across the water. Kind of a crazy story. And Peter starts taking a few steps out onto the water. And this woman said, when Peter got out of the boat, that was me. She said, I wanted to be uh, walking and moving towards Jesus. And she said at that, at that point, something really happened for her. And she went back to her room and, and wept for two hours with joy, realizing that even though she had very little kind of church background, that Jesus was reaching out to her and offering her real life. We uh, started, when we first started going to Micah, we were met with some resistance. There were some people saying, you can't go to an art school. You're not going to find a lot of interest. They're artists. They don't really get into religion, right? Uh, some other people just said, you know, the students are really just messed up. And I don't know if they're really going to accept the message. Uh, and we also felt like it was hard soil at first. We just thought the art students are really busy. It's difficult for them to take the time. Uh, but what we're finding as these stories come out is that there is good soil, even at Micah, among art, art students. So Jesus says to us, it's not as bleak as it seems. Yes, there are hardies. Yes, there are rockies. Yes, there are thornies. But there is good soil that we can expect there to be good soil as we sow the seed of the word. As I read about the early church and the accounts of the apostles in Acts, and they go to different towns preaching the gospel of the life-saving message of Jesus, they were convinced that there was some good soil wherever they went. They didn't prejudge. They didn't, they didn't count one town out or another or a certain people group out or another. They just went expecting that somebody was going to respond. Now, they got some negative responses too. But people were there who were good soil. And I want us to ask ourselves, do we believe that too? Do we believe there is good soil with all the kind of bad news and bad reports about the state of the, of the church today? Have we bought into those? Or do we believe that as we actually invite people, as we relate to people, that there will be people who will respond, who want to hear the message about Jesus? Do we believe it? I think it's difficult to stay hopeful in the midst of all the apathy. But the truth of this parable tells us that if we sow the seed, we will find positive response. My question for us is, that are we sowing the seed? Because I think for us, it's the way we can tend to work with the different kinds of responses we might face is that we will prejudge and say, you know, I don't think this person is really going to accept it. I'm just going to avoid them. Or I don't really want to invite so-and-so to church. They just are one of those nun people who have no religious, they won't want to come to church with me. Don't we do that? And then we might say, oh, well, there's somebody who's open. They're nice. Maybe I'll sow the seed there. But Jesus seems to sow pretty liberally in this passage. He just sows it everywhere. It's the way they farmed back then. But still, the word goes on everywhere, on every type of soil. Hard soil, thorny soil. Jesus seems to be pretty hopeful that something's going to happen. Instead of 
making the decision before. We can follow Jesus' lead and sow the seed widely and liberally and see who responds. We don't have to discriminate for people and make decisions for them. We need to be sowers of the seed and accepting that there will be people. This came home to me a couple years ago. We have pretty close relationships with the neighbors on our block. We've had, my wife's had book clubs. We've had Christmas open houses. We have outdoor grill nights. Uh, We've built some pretty good relationships. Our kids are friends. And the least likely that I would have thought neighbor who would be interested in anything spiritual had us over for a meal a couple years ago now. And we were talking about uh, a, a sledding experience that I had with her kids and my kids. It was one of these big snowstorms. We were get to getting our sleds out. With my two kids, I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old now. This was a couple years ago. And we said, let's go over to Adam and Clark's to see if they want to come with us. So we got them to get all their gear on and took our sleds and had a great time. She was telling the story of this day. And she said, when I saw you walking back with my boys after the sledding experience, that you took them with you, she said, you know, that made me actually think, maybe there is a God. (laughs) I was like, shocked. You know, what, uh, I took your kids sledding equals what, that God thing? No. But what she said is that, I mean, the fact that you would have gone out of your way to do that. She said, I don't consider myself a religious person at all. But that made me kind of wonder, maybe there is something to this. Um, The person that I thought would be the hardest soil has turned out to be good soil. And she's still in her spiritual journey, and we're very close to them. Are we sowing liberally? Are we sowing the seed with everyone around us before we decide for people ourselves? I hope that we are, and I hope that we take Jesus up on the fact that there is good soil. There is good soil. Um, So how can we do this? I want to talk about three quick ways that we can sow the seed around us. One way we do this on campus is we sow the seed by asking spiritual questions. Many of you were um, impressed by the dot board when you walked in. If you didn't see this this morning, this is like an interactive display we will use on our campuses um, or things something like this. It's a way to engage people in some kind of meaningful issue. And this topic was forgiveness. At Goucher College, it was, um, there were a lot of Jewish students, and it was right after Yom Kippur. And so we thought, this is a, a relevant topic. And so we, we asked people, you know, is forgiveness possible? And then, and then asked them to express their opinions. Inevitably, we get into conversations with people about issues. That week, we were also doing a meeting based on the theme of forgiveness. And so one of, a student came to that meeting, and she came to my staff after um, she had given a, a short message about forgiveness. And she said, you know what? This was a lot. No, she said, your message was a lot better than the free food. And Casey was, Casey was a little humbled and shocked that, um, that the student would come based on just a, a dot board that day, but also that she was so impacted her first experience there. Um, the, way we, the way we sow the seed on campus is to invite people to think about spiritual things. We ask them questions. We, 
We raise issues. So we can sow seeds with our neighbors, our, class, our classmates, our workmates, by just asking questions. We think, oh, sowing the seed, that means that the Christian is necessarily talking and the other person is listening. But I think it's a lot more effective if we're asking questions and listening and understanding where people are coming from. So that's one way we can sow the seed, by asking questions. Another way we sow the seed on campus is we share stories. You heard the story of this student who came to the Bible study and how the impact of just hearing a story from the life of Jesus, which we do all the time in our Bible studies. We just throw open the doors and say, anybody want to come and check out Jesus and look at, open up any part of the Gospels? But we also share stories and have our students share their own stories of how Jesus is relevant in their lives, what he's doing in their lives. We have the opportunity, just like Jesus, to just share stories. Again, it does not have to be this heavy proclamation. But Jesus, he just told farming stories and got people intrigued. We can use the power of our own story and the stories of Jesus to just make people wonder and ask. Maybe there's something more to the, the Jesus thing than I thought. Let's share stories to sow the seed. And lastly, we, share, uh, we sow the seed on campus by throwing parties. Uh, it, also at Goucher a couple weeks ago, I guess it was, yeah, it was two weeks ago, we had five student leaders um, plan a Mardi Gras party. And they did the whole thing. They, they planned the party. They got all the, the fun stuff. And they did all the inviting to this party. They had 30 people show up to this, to this party. Only five of them were Christians. And the other 25 were like, I want to come to a Mardi Gras party. And there was some kind of uh, conversation. Oh, they asked, at that point, they asked people questions. What, what kind of questions do you want to ask Christians? Because they're going to do an Ask a Christian event later this month. And so we got them to kind of think about that, but mostly it was just hanging out and sharing stories. Do we take initiative socially with the people around us? See, I think so much of us, we're just living parallel lives to the people around us because everyone's so busy. Somebody's got to take the initiative to go a little deeper. Are we doing that with the people around us? Are we having book clubs? Are we throwing parties? The, the only way that we were able to have this kind of impact with our neighbor was that because it was years of building relationship, and it's still happening. We can't share the gospel without being friends with people. And that is one way that we can sow the seed. So I want us to reflect on one way that we can grow this week, one thing that we can do this week to sow the seed in the lives of people around us. I want you to reflect on one thing that you want to do, that you can do, and maybe it's asking somebody a question. Maybe it's, it's uh, sharing a story or sharing your story. Maybe it's just taking an initiative socially, taking someone out to lunch or whatever. Just want us to, to think about that and commit to that in our hearts as I close this in prayer. So let's pray. God, we are thankful that your message always brings um, hope. Your message always brings a response. Even though the lack of response can, can cause our hearts to be uh, hopeless and discouraged. God, we believe in you that your 
word and that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, that you bring power. And so God, I pray you'd fill us with confidence and power in your power to share your word, to sow the seed, and to see you bringing response. I pray for my friends this week as we consider how we can respond to your message. I pray for us to have good soil, to accept it by acting out, by responding and um, sowing the seed with the people around us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.